Welcome to episode number 148 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording February the 6th, 2022. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events. I started a small preparedness company to uh, get people prepared to march off into the woods and survive for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm a student of preparedness and a hobby farmer on Vancouver Island. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, overall safety nerd, and definitely not Ian. My name is Andrew, and I'll be the host of your Canadian Patriot podcast this evening, the number one live <laughs> podcast in Canada. The number two live podcast for tonight. <laughs> first, first Sunday evenings, yeah. Yep. Oh, there you go. Uh, I'm Gavin, volunteer first responder and rock autiste. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in Central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. If you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch available at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good or bad, or just if there's a topic you'd like us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, high mileage content for you in this episode. Ooh, terrible jokes, carry on. <laughs> We're gonna start off with some uh, recent news, then we'll let you know what we've done for our preparedness since the last episode. Uh, then we're gonna get into the main topic, ruck marching. Let's move into the news. Well, before we talk about the obvious, uh, something that's from overseas, uh, Russia bans fertilizer exports. So Russia decided because of tensions with certain other countries and uh, I guess a lack of a domestic supply or at least concerns over that, they decided to ban ammonium nitrate exports, uh, which is, of course, a uh, fertilizer. And uh, yeah, that's going to leave a lot of countries short for the, you know, the planting season, basically. Um, completely unrelated article to that, reported by Russia Television, believe it or not. <laughs> so there was a uh, fertilizer plant fire in the U.S., which happens to produce or be the largest producer of ammonium nitrate fertilizer in the U.S. So take that how you will. It sounds like the U.S. is going to be ultra short for the spring. I've stopped believing in coincidences. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. interesting timing. Pretty much the same day article, That's too. Very interesting. Weird. Yeah. All right, so I've got a, a news article here, um, shocking in regards to the Freedom Convoy, because that seems to be what uh, all the media is talking about the last little bit. Uh, but Ottawa has declared a, an emergency over the uh, the trucker convoy that's there and uh, the COVID rule protests. So, bunch of pansies. Uh, just, <laughs> just a reminder for everybody to keep your head on a swivel, and these things are popping up all over the place. So just be aware of your surroundings. Well, according to the, the Ottawa Mayor... There were there was uh, there was bouncy castles and there were saunas and hot tubs. Wow. Sounds like the mayhem. Yeah, yeah it sounds goodness. like absolute mayhem to me. So I, that was the mayor's words. So I guess that that constitutes a good emergency, right? Dogs and cats living together. Like, come on, really? <laughs> like I said, keep your head on a swivel. As soon as you see that bouncy castle, you're gonna have to go and jump in it. Skid, yeah. skids and skids of of ping pong balls. <laughs> Oh yeah. boy. But there was just a, uh, it was just on the news breaking as I uh, come back in about 15 or 20 minutes ago that 
Ottawa police moved in on the so-called uh, trucker headquarters or whatever and confiscated anything fuel-related. Their diesel fuel, wow. their propane, wow. everything. They moved in and took it all. Hmm. Well, good luck getting them to all move now. That'll yep. work yep. out really well. Yep, they're not going to go if they don't have that. I would just, I yeah. would just let my truck run empty and then yeah. tell them. I, I'd love. Uh, you know so, yeah. so does that mean they're helping? Yes. I mean, malicious compliance <laughs> is my favorite kind. Fair enough. Like the, yeah, well, I, and and, and the, I think the like other the thing, and I, I don't, I'm not a, a professor of law or know anything like that, but um, the police chief basically said anybody who facilitates the uh, the convoy brings them food, brings them water, uh, can be subject to arrest. Hmm. For, for aiding an illegal activity, which I didn't think protesting was. But yeah, hey, I get it. I, I mean, start uh, issuing I, tickets for trespassing if it's illegal activity, and then then we have then you have a leg to stand on. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Um, it's. Uh, it, it's I, it's been a while since a cop has quite literally shot themselves in the foot, so I feel like they're just stepping up their game and well, shooting themselves. Summer in Calgary. <laughs> That's like, a while. It's been almost we're, a year. We're due. We're, no, seven months. We're due for it. Yeah. <laughs> so I figure I think they just came up with a new and interesting way to do it. But I, I, think, I think they're probably I think just trying to recover their budget get, based on the price of fuel. I'm trying to keep yeah, the gas is expensive. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I think, think I think you just nailed it. Yep. And I think one of the issues they're going to run into is, yeah, they'll let the trucks run out of fuel. Who's going to pull it out of there? Um, at the Alberta, the Coots border protest, when the RCMP yep. moved in, apparently they called a bunch of the local tow companies and they went, nope, not touching it. Those guys are our bread and butter. We're not, uh, we're not going to, uh, as the, you just said, shoot ourselves in the foot. I mean, any, any heavy tow that goes in there and starts pulling those trucks out is probably going to be on somebody's blacklist somewhere so who knows what's well, not I, like uh, it's a regular tow truck right you got to get the big tow trucks for the big trucks yeah. and there are only that so many of those around specific and limited market yeah. yeah well london london has three that service kind of everything from uh woodstock to chatham and then all the north like the, the bruce peninsula up to bruce peninsula so there's there's three around here. They'll do that. Uh, I can't imagine there's a there's a huge sure supply of them for the tens of, of thousands of trucks, trucks in Ottawa. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure this would only take a few months. Months. <laughs> uh, Melissa points out that Trudeau hasn't dressed up like a truck driver yet. So he can't see him. He's dressed up like a truck, though. Yeah. 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 Is this, I mean, is them trying to pull all these out with no gas and no tow trucks going to be kind of like the equivalent of like the Suez Canal thing, but like with trucks? Yeah, I don't think Trudeau yeah. would do that anyway. Says you have to get his hands dirty, so or work, you know. And right now he's kind of doing well, either. So careful him doing work near trucks. You could end up with like oil all over. It'd be a hole. Yeah, that could be. like other pictures he's been in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Yikes! Yeah, we don't need that. So, so Denny's complaining Man. about four dollar a gallon diesel. Should we should we shock him with how much we're paying? Well, without without factoring the exchange, yeah, a gallon is what like three point seven eight liters. Uh, a dollar fifty a liter. That works out to about six six twenty five a gallon, and then the thirty percent exchange on top of that. Somewhere somewhere in there, without yeah. my calculator handy. That's a lot of math. Uh, but the honking is upsetting people. You see, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and the other thing apparently too is um, 
they they just said the government they didn't specify whether it's uh the local government or the feds or whatever uh rumor is that they have gone to all of the motels and booked all of the vacant rooms so that nobody else can book a room uh for the protest part of it and come in so another good use of our uh, tax dollars can i book rooms for other activities no there are no rooms oh. available the government owns them all i'd be willing to bet that if you ask the right, the right people in the right government very nicely they'd rent it to you at a significant inflation <laughs> Probably not wrong. Yeah. Anyways, enough of that. Um, they have to take so my, special friends, so be a mess. So my uh, quick news article, uh, weather-related, is uh, Nova Scotia was hit with a pretty significant ice storm this weekend. Uh, was not as bad as they first anticipated. They were, which shouldn't shock you from uh, weather reporters, but um, they were saying it could be as bad as the and correct me if I'm wrong, if I've got the year wrong, the 98 ice storm out towards Ottawa yep. on that, that they were saying it could be uh, close to that type of severity. It didn't happen, but there's still um, thousands of people without power. Uh, at the peak, they were around 140,000 just in Nova Scotia. Well, that is, uh, that is terrible. Um, you know, I, Eric and I have talked about this before that we, you know, that was kind of our introduction to the gap in preparedness for the average person. Um, it's been, uh, it's been, it's, I, I hope for the best, for the best for everybody in Nova Scotia. That's uh, that's a rough time. Yeah. All right. So we move into what we've done lately for preps. I uh, did some food prep, uh, made my little more than a monthly been about six weeks since I was there to Costco and had to pick my jaw off the floor a few times with the price and cost of stuff. Um, I certainly got less in this trip than I did probably about six weeks ago, and it cost me significantly more money. So um, not happy, but it is what it is. Yep. All right. For myself, uh, I'm in what two classes now for uh, the Long Island CW Club, so got a few letters down now, so kind of happy with that. And besides that, it is been just work work more work and uh, yeah work it's it's been a fun couple weeks i'll leave it at that because people are great people are just freaking wonderful yeah, yeah. um as for myself well, i made use of that orange uh, ammo box combo i bought last week from cabela's i started making my little mini radio go bag it's gonna be a go box i guess theoretically i just need a couple parts from aliexpress to show up uh, the livestock production dog redeemed himself this week, took out a mink that was uh, terrorizing one of the coops, only lost one chicken, which was good, and so he took care of that business before he was even, even able to get up there, which was good. Uh, so that was good. See here, propane top-up, I just, uh, one of our 100-pounders uh, was getting low, so I kind of just switched everything around and topped that up, because prices being what they are, they're not going to go down anytime soon, so I decided to keep that topped up. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that one. Bazinga. Oh, uh-oh. Uh, yeah, catch it on later. the replay. Yeah, I'll list on the replay. <laughs> I feel better about that then. Or at least I'll win your comeback or something. Um, hatching eggs. I had a request for that because uh, yeah, one of my local per people there, they, I guess they, they processed all their chickens out during COVID and then they need to replenish. So that's pretty much it. Slowly. Wait, wait a minute. No CGN deals? No. What? <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, it's so funny. I've only got one thing left on there right now. I'm trying to... I think I we saw that. that on video. I thought I'd felt a strange disturbance in the force. Yeah, <laughs> really, it, you did. It, it felt like there was like something missing out of my life, but uh, mm. yeah, unfortunately, nothing happened this week on CGN. So, well, you're probably better like, off for it. I feel like we've got a theme here going for the uh, bunch of people doing pantry stuff and food stuff. I'm in that boat this week too. Cleaned out the pantry, cleaned out the long-term food storage, or at least started on it. Tried ice fishing. I caught a fish. It was a good time. Well, did you keep it needed? He half caught I, a fish. It, <laughs> the fish got hooked on the hook that I had cast. It's it called a long up. line release, and it's a totally valid catch. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, and, what and if the fish conservation was officer asks, I was completely conscious the entire time. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I uh, I caught a little brown lake trout and I ate it. It was very good. Very nice. uh, today was the beginning of week three of the New Shooter Canada Ruck Challenge. So I got out and I got my ruck in because I used to go shooting on weekends, but COVID. Not that I have COVID, that the range is closed because I guess somehow COVID. I don't know. The rules don't make oh. sense and the points don't matter. Yeah. COVID's bulletproof, mm -hmm. so you can't shoot it to keep it away. I'm not more worried about my lead exposure on our indoor range. Outside and not yeah. near somebody is somehow dangerous. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do have guns, so like, I guess I could see. Yeah, but but that didn't change. That that isn't that's a, that a controlled variable in both circumstances. Well, then I got nothing. I got nothing either. I, well, no, it's a well-known fact: COVID travels on bullets, just the way. It is. <laughs> yeah. What was that? What was it? Wasn't the Battle of Agincourt where they uh, they used um, like poop-tipped arrows to give dysentery to everybody inside the inside, like to, to the I mean, enemy? That does sound like something the English would do. I think I think it was Agincourt. I forget. I'm sure there's somebody out there that uh, that knows the answer. But well, I mean, that was the it was, one, it was one of the battles horror. where the archers were yeah. the archers were using. Yeah, they were they were they were tipping their arrows with uh, with feces and then shooting them over so that the infection would, would run rampant and dysentery and whatever. Um, it's basically the same thing, right? Like bullets and COVID, and the bullet is not really the problem. It's the COVID that you might get afterwards. Sure. Yeah. Right. Anyways, <laughs> that's all I got for that. Uh, um, I've done a fair bit of uh, fitness training this week. I'm not so much rucking, but um, other things that are similar. Uh, got in a couple of jujitsu classes, which is also heavy and exhausting. Uh, and then got some. Uh, got in a couple of doctor's appointments to improve uh, improve my overall health. Get get a couple of things taken care of, and like Eric, lots and lots and lots of work. So much fun, isn't it? It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, you got anything to add, Gavin? Or? Oh, I mean, nothing crazy. I mean, I, I also went ice fishing with Andrew, so it was good to get out and practice our cold weather survival strategies, consume some alcohol. Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it, it's okay. It's We had hypothermia. It was fine. Um no, but yeah, just working on my fitness too. I've been doing the the New Shooter Canada Ruck Challenge. I uh, I did get out uh, into the city yesterday, which was terrible, but also great all at the same time because I was there uh, getting some good exercise and exercising my rights. So I see what time. you did there. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> all right, shall we move into the main topic? 
All right. Uh, well, before we even get going, we have a few questions like this on Discord all the time. What exactly is ruck marching, guys? It's kind of a personal question, Ian. Yeah, um, sorry. Gonna you got to know when to be one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was a ruck marcher last year. First rule of ruck marching is we don't talk about ruck marching. Second yeah. rule of ruck marching is the shortest podcast ever. All right, well, so I'll then. bring this episode to an end. <laughs> Listen, if we can talk for a full hour about tactical pants, we can probably fill another 40 minutes with Ruck. With Ruck. I think we went longer than an hour on tactical pants. I, I tried to keep that one contained. Yeah. The pants help with that. Um, Rucking, I think, is probably simplest to think of as walking with purpose. Yeah. The purpose is to find and destroy your enemies and see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of their women. As That's, one does, yeah. Sounds like life goals to me, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess maybe for the the, the lay person, um, hiking, you go for a long walk with a pack of some sort. Hiking with a purpose, yeah. Is the purpose so, other than just getting back home? See my earlier comment about closing with and destroying your enemies. <laughs> So maybe okay. maybe There's, hiking from A to B in a bit more of a timely manner as opposed to like a peaceful stroll through the woods with a leisurely hike. In pre-industrialized warfare before automobiles, it was imperative that soldiers be able to march from one location to another in a semi-organized fashion. And certain armies got really, really good at this. And the etymology of the word comes from uh, ancient times. But the idea is to carry your fighting load from where you are to where you need to be to then kill everyone there. Yeah. So you basically go to um, ruck things up, so to speak. In a more modern aspect of that, it's the dismounted infantry type movement that you could be expecting to experience as a, as a soldier, as a, as a person in a military formation, all of the things that you're doing when you're not in a vehicle. I, when we're talking about it in this context, it's, this context, it's more recreational, but the, the concepts are the same, and it's all derived from various standards from various militaries. The Brits have their particularisms around rucking. The Canadians have theirs. The Yanks have theirs. The Yanks have a bunch of other strange names for it, too. You'll also find the, the British Army does. Sometimes they call it yomping. I don't know why one would yomp, but I suppose you could. Um, we're very consistent in that we call it rucking. That's very common through the Commonwealth countries. The, uh, the Americans also sometimes call it forced marches or road marches. The, the idea is you just have all of your equipment with you and you're needing to be at a certain place at a certain time. And there yeah. are some standards around that, but there's yeah, a bunch of other places yeah. taking this and applied it in a, a recreational sense or a competitive sense. Uh, Go Ruck commercialized it in North America. They're big in the U S they're a adventure sport company. Think like a combination of uh, CrossFit and Tough Mudder, but with a backpack. That sounds terrible. Yeah. yeah it's, it's awful. I, yeah. I mean, Hey, anything to make a buck, I guess, right? So, needless to say, good source of exercise, uh, physical readiness. Excellent source of exercise. Excellent source of physical readiness. Excellent way of testing your gear. Uh, plenty of practical applications for all of you backcountry hunters, for example. Not everyone shoots a deer in their backyard and then uses their ATV to drag it back to the shop. Although, some people do that. 
other people might decide they want to go backcountry hiking and or backcountry hunting and take their game out with them, which requires a certain level of physical preparedness. Yeah, but that's the great thing about rucking in that, like, it's really, I mean, you cater it to your fitness level by, you know, increasing or decreasing the distance or the time that you go out for and then increasing or decreasing the weight that you do. So it's very customizable to your current level of fitness. As a starting point, walking with a purpose would be a good place to go. If you, if you're in a position where you can walk, you're in a position where you can start rucking because all you're going to do is add a backpack, like literally add a backpack with nothing in it, just an empty backpack because your backpack's going to weigh several pounds, right? Which is more than you would normally weigh. And so all the people want to, grab an SKS and go in the woods and then, uh, you know, well, I mean, I'm, I'm them. all for grabbing an SKS and going in a woods, but like you got to go in the woods with mm-hmm. your water or your water and your food and your shelter and your cleaning kit for your SKS and your extra ammo and maybe a functional, reliable firearm. It's <laughs> <laughs> a back, it's a backup to the SKS. Yeah. <laughs> SKS won't jam, but it won't hit anything. So my well, SKS has never that. failed as a club. Never once. I don't know if you're allowed to club a deer to death. Is that a... Yeah, you can, actually. Dead men tell tales. Yeah, I guess if it was coming right for you. Um. <laughs> Beat me to it. <laughs> but it, So long as you're in, in some sort of shape where you can walk, you can take up rock marching. And as Gavin said, it's very scalable. Depending on what you want to do and how you want to do it, you have effectively three variables, time, weight, and distance. The heavier the bag is, the harder you're going to have to work to have to move the weight. It's simple physics, right? If you want to go faster, you're going to expend more energy to move the same weight over a given distance. If you want to go further, you either need to go faster or take longer. So you start to play with those factors, and it's going to give you not quite a full body workout, but it is, I think, uh, significantly more... uh, muscular endurance than running because you are using your, your back and your upper body in a way that you don't when you run. But it's, I, I think, also easier on your joints. Um, the physics works out that running puts uh, 12 times the weight of your normal body weight on your knees when you run. Rucking puts about three times of whatever your body weight plus your rucksack is on your knees when you run. Unless you're running with a couple hundred pounds, multiplying that by three is going to be significantly less wear and tear on your joints than multiplying it by 12 is. I'm a big dude, call it uh, 190 pounds for easy math. If I ruck with a 50 pound back, uh, a 50 pound pack, that's uh, 700 and change pounds. If I'm just running, that's uh, 1300 pounds, something like this. It's significantly, significantly less wear and tear on your joints as a result. But it's also, um, I think, more mentally demanding. I'm not a great runner and I don't particularly enjoy running, but I run because it's one of those things that I feel is a thing you should be able to do as a reasonable person also to be able to get away from the popo. <laughs> Rucking on the other hand is well and zombies. I mean in, insert yeah. your disaster of choice, right? Like yeah. you you should be able to pull yourself up off of a building and run away from danger. So if yeah. you put yourself into a situation you should be able to get yourself out of it. So if you are going to go backcountry hunting or if you're gonna go camping in a woods with your SKS and your friends or if you're gonna decide you should go ice fishing on a frozen lake in Northern Ontario and you want to hike out to your fishing hole. Yeah. Or your Argo breaks down and you have to go back to collect your, your shack 
which was or almost the situation we were down. in. Yeah. <laughs> so the the fishing poles and whiskey will not carry themselves. It's true. This is true. Yep. So developing a bunch of practical outdoorsy type skills to be a better person. Well, let's uh, drill down a bit. How about the backpack? Should we talk about uh, what we're looking for in a backpack to go ruck marching with? Yes. It's kind of a key the, part of the whole thing. Your, yeah, your ruck stack, if you will. There are so many choices, and I will offend everyone by saying that your choice is wrong. Because <laughs> everyone has their... Fashion, right? Well, every, everyone has their particular... As we, we talked about this at length on uh, an early episode of Canadian Patriot Podcast, or earlier episode of Canadian Patriot Podcast. Way back on episode 271, we talked about rucksacking. And some some internet commenters were very offended that I didn't mention their particular brand of hunting backpack. I don't hunt. I don't care. Not my cup of tea. I talked about the tactical backpacks that I'm used to and interested in, because that's my area of expertise. Which, oddly enough, will also work as hunting packs. Yeah. And vice well, they versa. Won't. They're not camouflage, and they're not scent-free, and they're not my brand, therefore you are wrong. And this was the argument that we got into, was I was not... I was not picking the best backpack for their specific situation, which I didn't. I picked the best backpack for my situation, which if you're looking is an Everly stock fast track, uh, FM three, I think is the model number. It's the fast track, fast uh, half track. It's the 2000 cubic inches. So what should I be looking for in a good backpack? You, you want a label that says Everly stock? <laughs> yeah. If you can't find that or it's out of your budget, I mean, the, the key components is, adjustability to your size and the like, correct size backpack for the task which you're yeah setting out to do carrying the $20 wish three-day tactical assault pack with molly that's not spec may be a backpack and may carry some weight hiking with the dutch surplus low alpin 100 liter rucksack well it is a great price from our friends in finland at verisardeka it maybe is not the most appropriate backpack to go for a day hike with because it's a hundred liters. Yeah. The problem with bags is that when you have a, a bag, you tend to fill the bag and that's not always a good thing. You don't want the load shifting on you when you're carrying it. Cause that could make things really uncomfortable or even unsafe that like, you know, if you kind of lean over and then the load pitches to that side, it could knock you over. And if you're hiking in an area, that's maybe on the side of a cliff as we've done at times, that could probably be a pretty bad day. So adjustability, I think is going to be your biggest factor. However, you want to go about solving that particular problem. Um, adjustable yoke, the part of the backpack that goes over your shoulders, adjustable waist belt. Um, and I'm going to say a thick and comfortable waist belt, I think are also key yeah. factors in a rucksack over say a typical backpack, two strap backpack. The, the idea is to put the weight uh, distributed between your shoulders and your uh, your hips and getting that adjustment because everyone is built differently. The anatomics of people are a fun thing. This is why I like, you know, blondes, brunettes, redheads. It's the same idea, but with people, the torsos are all shaped differently. So you find the, uh, find the one that you like best that fits you the best and then try a couple more just for good measure. Same idea, blondes, brunettes, redheads is equally applicable. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, you're that, going to I, want to find one of those adjustable backpacks that can fit comfortably. Um, again, looking at the Everly stock as an example, or the, uh, is it the U.S. Molly 2 is the designation yeah. for the surplus one? 
Yeah, well, depending on the size, but like that's sort of the the medium one is at least the one that I tend to use for rucking because and it, it has the same adjustable ladder system for the yoke, right? Yeah, yeah. So you need to find uh, the backpack that is adjustable to fit you, and then you need to fit the backpack to you. Uh, adjustable is not just the the length of the shoulder straps; that is actually where the yoke sits on in relation to your back and in relation to your uh, your waist belt. And getting your waist belt so that it actually fits comfortably and yeah. supportively. Um, it's not just a belt belt that holds your pants up. You need to find your uh, iliac crest, your the top of your hip bones, and get your waist belt to sit on the iliac crest to help share the load between your shoulders and your waist. It also allows you with a good rucksack that you can change it as you're walking to shift the load so that you can have a rest on your upper shoulders and put more of the weight lower down on your waist and then vice versa and lift it back up again. Uh, load lifters are another one of those great things to have if your backpack has an option for load lifters to help more comfortably distribute that weight. Because when you start yeah. getting up there in weight, it does get to be... Everything is uncomfortable, and it's, it's uncomfortable on purpose. And then you get into other things like, do you want to wear body armor at the same time? And then you should look at something like a Mystery Ranch uh, B, BLS, v, BVS, whatever, whatever their body yeah. armor integration system is called. Because body armors and backpacks don't exactly go together. You can make it work, but like, it's body armor. It's not comfortable yeah. in the best of circumstances. Add a 100-pound pack. It gets super fun really fast. Well, and then you start getting into some other stuff with like what kind of padding in your pack. And like you said earlier, like a padded waist belt or not, like I like to have at least some padding in my waist belt because you want that to be fairly snug in order to hold the weight nice and secure on your hips and not slide up and down, especially when you're kind of going over slightly more rocky terrain. Um, but then even padding in your shoulder straps is kind of nice because there's going to be some weight on those. And then like, what kind of padding is it that air mesh? Or are you going to just have like the most garbage plastic material up against your skin so that you're getting all that contact perspiration and sweating like crazy in the middle of winter, which you don't really want, you know? So there's a lot of factors that go into getting the right backpack. And I mean, the right backpack to start with is probably the backpack that you own. Yeah, that is. Yeah, on that note, Melissa's asking, "How do you feel about five eleven stuff for rucking?" I mean, I wear five eleven all day, every day, because I can, because I get to choose my own wardrobe, and that's what the costume department likes to have on hand. I think their backpacks are wonderful. I've been using one every day for work for the better part of a decade. Coming up on ten years, I've had the same backpack. I have a range bag for five eleven. I think it's great. I would not ruck with any of them. The, yeah. There's no weight spelt until you get to the three-day pack, the 72-hour, the Rush 72. Uh, they do make a really big pack that's a clone of the FIBLE, the F-I-B-L-E, USMC. Um, it's not their assault pack. It's like a, it's smaller than a rucksack. It has a separate ba um, sleeping bag compartment. But anyway, they make a uh, they make a copy of the uh, the USMC F-I-L-B bag. It's okay. It's expensive for what it is. I'd rather just get the surplus USMC bag for the price because it's the same feature yeah. set. The 72-hour bag, if you've got one, sure, it works. It's got a waist belt. The other ones don't. You can get a waist belt. I wouldn't spend the money to buy a 511 waist belt. They're okay. I don't think they're anything amazing. They do have the stiffener in them, which is nice. It's not a real um, backpacking backpack. right? You get, there's really kind of like three styles of bags, backpacks. Um, no frame, internal frame, external frame. The you definitely want a frame. 
you want a frame and the 511s have an internal sheet of plastic which is not awful yeah. but it's not as good as a real frame with stays and aluminum strapping and or yeah. like a really good external frame like a cf82 pattern rucksack frame or the uh any of the frames that are compatible with the u.s molly backpack series yeah if it's um if it's got an external frame it's mo uh, more easily serviceable you take the bag part off and all of the other components the shoulder straps waist belt sternum strap frame all stay as a unit yeah. and you can change them around a little bit well I'm, I'm a big fan of the external as well i mean for that reason and because like you can put all the stuff in the bag like not that you can't in an internal one but when you have the internal frame the bag looks like it's a certain size but it's not because you've got now the frame inside of that so it's sort of deceiving the, the yeah space my inside. elderly stock packs are like that and i mean i i like the move to some of the new plastic and aluminum technology and in internal frames but you lose some of the serviceability from having like my old yeah. cf82 pattern rock because yeah i mean it's indestructible and if it's you a... screw it up you just strap a new one together yeah i think it's just a it's a one way or the other like as long as you have a frame you're good but there's trade-offs to, to both of those things the external frames can get caught on things sometimes depending on the design or there's a bunch of other fiddly little straps well that you've got to play around with frames, and especially the old backpacking style like the tubular aluminum backpacking yeah. frames were very fiddly and prone to breaking in strange places yeah. and were never like no matter how much you adjusted them they were never really super comfortable again it's a backpack it's never going to be great but i would much rather go with something more modern which probably necess necessitates an internal frame backpack for comfort sake but again if you're going to spend the money get a good name brand bag from somebody who makes good name brand outdoor equipment yeah not trying to knock 511 specifically but like it has its purpose. Yeah. They make great I backpacks would, for yeah, it's a good backpack. Your work I wouldn't stuff choose it as a rucksack. And, yeah. It's the same way like I wouldn't choose the the British Bergen as a backpack if I was given the choice. Yeah, it's a pretty good Bergen, but in North America we don't use those. Yeah. So I mean, do do with it what you have with what you can afford and I mean it's sort of the there is a bag for every purpose and I haven't found them all yet. That's true. So, okay, it's going to be a bone of contention with a lot of people. Uh, hydration packs. So between the skunkiness that sometimes they get into, the freezing aspect, are they a fad? Are they useful? What's your thoughts? Uh, hydrate or die. Yeah. To that end, uh, hydration bladders, I think, serve a great purpose. There's lots of good choices. Uh, Camelback, of course, who uh, I'm stealing their, their catchphrase. Uh, wa water is very important. Yeah. Um, I, really, I have never had a problem with a camelback. I have a couple that I rotate through and I got one that's coming up on it's again, close to 10 years old now. It's probably yeah. seven or eight. I, um, I have a bunch that are I so clean old, it, yeah. I air it out. It's fine. It gets washed regularly. I have no issues with flavor or um, little things growing in it, but I don't put it away full of water and I wash it out religiously. I had, I had one just like start leaking all of a sudden, almost eight years old. I mean, granted, it was almost eight years old, but it was, yeah, I filled it up knowing that I was going to be out uh, needing it the next morning, and I woke up to a, uh, came out to a pot, like just a giant puddle of water on my counter and on the floor. 
Yeah, I've seen I've seen an occasion where somebody blew up a, a bladder before where they blew up a I, I don't think it was a camelback. I think it was a wasn't source, it was another brand. The source ones are not bad. The source ones open up nice. Yeah. But I whether you do that or whether you do the two quart canteen or whether you've got Nalgene bottles, I don't think there's any bad choices with that. I do like the convenience of the camelback with the drinking straw. Um, yeah. you do have to be cognizant though, it's Canada. In yeah. minus 35, the drinking straw freezes, even though the water in the bladder may still be a gonna, liquid. going to ice up pretty good. Um, and there's not a whole lot you can really do. Like, you can try getting more insulated hoses, but, like, unless that water I don't even is... I find this my hose. I find after it gets to well, minus 10 or so, it's the bite valve, um, the yeah. inside of the bite valve, not where you bite, but where it connects yeah, yeah, yeah. the coupler yeah, into yeah. the hose. All you need is just a little bit of moisture in there and it's going to freeze right up. So unless you're constantly sipping through that thing, having fluid moving, not going to work. Or what you can probably do is add whiskey the well, it, or that tuck the hose away somewhere. So that's yes, like if you inside, put the hose of, inside your, of your, warm but then it becomes less convenient mm -hmm. and you do. Um, I, I mean, I kind of joke, but if you, if you were to add something to change the freezing point, that may help may hinder the situation too but it may prevent the freezing i do think they serve their place so especially for the majority of users for the majority of the time there are specific circumstances where a hydration bladder minus 35 in canada is not going to be a great first choice but yeah. it'll still work most of the time for most people. Chances are, though, you're not as crazy as we are, and you won't be out doing a ruck for fun. Well, I mean, we've in, talked about this with people on our Discord talking about this. I think it was Discord. Maybe it was one of our panelist chats. I don't take my camel back when it goes below freezing. I take a Nalgene bottle because the Nalgene bottle doesn't freeze fast enough to be a concern. You just yeah. shake it, and the ice is fine. Keeps your water cold. Keeps your water cold. Yeah. But I think the, the packing thing um, particularly is also a concern. The hydration bladder being part of that. Water is reasonably dense. Water is reasonably heavy. Water is reasonably wet. And you should probably is water have wet, a though? bunch of it. Yeah. Or does yes. water make things wet? Well, I, yes. I like to believe that the water is wet. It's all about perception. Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question. Then what do you put in your pack to add the weight? I mean, Camelbacks. Yeah. It's 12 of them just full of water. I mean, water is a great, like, so water is started, one of those good things to get started with. I think, cause it's a, like, yeah. it's a density weight kind of a problem. You could take a hundred liters of feathers, but you would need a really big backpack. You could take a hundred liters of water and you would need a smaller backpack. Yeah. The nice thing, like, if you put, like, say, dumbbells in your pack, it works. They're going to clang not around. They're not going to be great. And if you get to a point where you're like, you know what? I maybe bit off a little more than I could chew. I need to dump some weight. You, do you really want to leave your dumbbells halfway along the trail? Have you seen the price of dumbbells lately? Not, not at two bucks a pound. Well, and that's the... So, if you have water, while it is wasteful to just dump it on the ground, at least if you're out in the woods, you could be watering a tree with it, and now all of a sudden, you have a lot less weight. 
Yeah, water conveniently, uh, uh, a liter of water works out to one kilogram of weight. And I have yet to meet a neighbor that gets mad at me if I dump some water on their lawn because I had too much that day. Yeah. They, uh, they don't react as well when you leave bricks or sandbags or... If you left a dumbbell, they might get excited. Uh, but I'm not sure if I want to leave that kind of a... I don't know if I like my neighbors well enough. But what, I think water is a good starting weight because it's cheap yeah. and easy and convenient. You buy it by the bottle, and the bottles have some give to it. You can get the pretty good size four liter ones for a buck at the grocery store, or yeah. you get the smaller sizes, and you can put them in your bag. And as well, you have says, no excuse if, to not hydrate either, right? You've got well, water if you're, with you. If you decide you can't make it home because it weighs too much, you just dump it out and take home some plastic to recycle. That's not uh, not a bad deal. Yeah. If you want to get into more um, weighty weights. Sand is a good choice. Sand is yeah. usually very inexpensive and denser than water is. There's also lots of conveniently available fitness sandbag things now because there's a whole fitness trend and weights are expensive and hard to come by, but sandbags, right. not so much. So there's purpose-built sandbags for that. I mean, whether you get the like green poly army style sandbag or whether you get the weight specific, the I have four 25-pound sandbags in my fitness sandbag bag a duffel bag looking bag uh those those are good choices uh expended bricks from your retired masonry projects not a bad choice kind of pointy usually got to wrap mm -hmm. those a little bit um weights will work some weights work better than others dumbbells not a bad choice hex bell kind of pointy edges not maybe the best yeah. option the other part of that is how are you going to put it in your backpack in a way that's comfortable? Is, uh, weights tend to be heavy and go to the bottom of bags. And putting things at the bottom of bags is basically the worst place to put it. Uh, if, it were, I, if it were in an ideal world, I would put the weight up as high as I could on my back between my shoulder blades. And nothing yeah, above like, the head height, I'm, I'm sure, because it gets too tippy. I, I, yeah, I would prefer not yeah. above, above my, my neck, my head. Uh, maybe like some little small stuff on the very, very top of my backpack, but not if I can avoid yeah. it. I'm thinking like sleeping pad but, kind of thing at most. Well, you want it, like you said, sort of in between your shoulder blades, you know, not above your shoulders, but like right in that spot, ideally, because that's where you're going to have the most support and everything for that. I mean, along that well, spot. The most support, the least throwing off my center of gravity, because it's all, it's an economy of motion thing, right? As you, as you add weight to your backpack, you are going to tend to either lean forward or backwards. If you stand up straight, it puts more pressure on your spine and on your joints, and it takes more energy to just stand there. Similarly, as you're walking uh, with the weight higher up, you're going to be expending more energy than if it's lower down. Uh, if you can put it where your natural center of gravity is, your body is used to having weight there. So by putting it between your shoulder blades is happens to be terribly convenient because of how most people are built. Well, maybe you're not built that way, but most people are. This is the same thing like with a uh, weight vest. Uh, weight vest is not a bad choice because it spreads the weight out around your body front and back and uh, sort of top to bottom, like uh, top of your shoulders down to the bottom of your belly, right? So not a, not a bad choice, but it's not as convenient as putting it in a backpack. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's why I like sand. I mean, sand fills like I've got one of those cool weighted sand 
fitness bag things that I had to fill myself because that's the easiest way to do it because shipping sand and is expensive. Cheapest. Yeah. But for me, like it, it's a big enough load that when I put it in my pack, it fills a good chunk of my pack and is easy to center in my pack so that it's centered on my back as opposed to, yeah, like a 25 pound dumbbell that I just throw in my pack that would be volume wise, you know, small, but then rattle around and be inconvenient and everything else. That sandbag is, is a good physical size and then, you know, then you can customize the weight if you want to. Oh, Alan Rage quit. I guess he didn't <laughs> like that answer. Well, yeah. But yeah, sand's my preference personally, but uh, I think water is a great way to get, get started. I think water's a great way to get started. I'm also a big fan of sand. If you um if you really have to get creative, lead shot is also terribly convenient. Yeah. If you're into shotgun reloading. If you're yeah. not into shotgun reloading, you're maybe not listening you can, to the right podcast. You can buy it in a bag that's 25 pounds. Yeah, ready to go like in a bag designed for it. But mildly more toxic to handle if you have to break it up and than, than sand. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. yes, I mean, but don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't put don't something in your, in, underneath your lip just to keep, you know, in case you need a little extra weight or something up front. You know? I would, yeah. not, would not recommend. Build up a tolerance <laughs> to the lead. Yeah. That's right. It's like iocane poisoning. I heard that's a thing. So, yeah. would not recommend. Um, I, I would try to get that backpack re- relatively filled up, though, so that that weight is up nice and high. Yeah. So we we've ran in, we've run into this problem with people asking before about what to do and sleeping bags, blankets, anything bulky to put at the bottom to get that weight raised up. If you're getting the uh, surplus military style rucksacks, or if you're getting like a fancy rucksack, um, anything with a radio pouch is terribly convenient because radios are heavy and a pain in the ass. So if it has a radio pocket, the radio pocket is already in the right spot, but it's going to be like a big radio, like a prick 152. Yeah. Well, should we get to the other, uh, the other half of the quotient there? The, uh, the boots. Yes. The ones you have are good, but the ones you can buy from me are better. (laughs) Brands. (laughs) Uh, original SWAT, go on RagnarokTactical.ca, use the discount code PATRIOT, check out, save yourself some money on shipping, literally take money out of my child's college fund, but <laughs> I wear original SWAT boots all the time, because they fit and they're convenient, and I go through boots like nobody's business, and it doesn't matter if it's I've had expensive boots and I've had cheap boots, the expensive boots just last a little bit longer, they don't last indefinitely I do a pair of boots a year easy, two pairs of boots a year um, so if I'm going to throw them away i just as happy to get the original swat ones they're not terribly expensive and they are of reasonable quality for what they are i've had uh, some better name brand made in america work boots and i still get a year out of them and then they'll start to go so yeah get i ones for original fit. swat as well great boots. get ones that fit get yeah. ones that you're comfortable with i original swat has a great return policy if you're not happy with them in 60 days send them back get a different set yeah. or get a refund yeah. um there I mean, are I, lots of other good boot companies out there. Go ahead. Gary. Yeah, I mean, I like. I mean, I, I've got a couple. Of, I mean, original SWAT. I will agree for the money. They are fantastic, and they're nice and light. Uh, I've been doing a lot of my rucking with uh, trail runners, so a little bit less ankle support, a lot less ankle support, but uh, they're stupid light. 
Yeah, I've so had like, a there's couple some of trade-offs on some like things, that. right? Like where it's what you have is probably good as long as you can walk a fair distance and not get a blister in them, because getting a blister in them, especially one the size of your foot, sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been there a time or two. Yeah, um, a, a trail but, boot, a running like a, a, a trail hiking boot, uh, anything up past your ankle. I mean, the more the more support you can get on that is is better. Yeah, I mean, but it's going to tend to be a little bit heavier. But I mean, that's, that's up sort of to you whether you, you want can this get support light or boots. Yeah, lighter is going to be, I think, generally better. What? If you can get the, uh, if you can get a taller boot, I mean, I, Gavin and I maybe have a difference of opinion on this. Uh, I like some pretty decent ankle support when we start talking about real weights, not uh, not thirty pounds. When we start talking fifty, sixty pound weights. Uh, getting yeah. some better ankle support in there because even just out now in the snow in my neighborhood, the side pl- sidewalks have been plowed by the world's tiniest plow, but not not well. <laughs> so I am I am more than happy to have my eight inch original swats that are giving me like a reasonable degree of ankle support, so I don't roll or twist or do anything silly when I'm trying to keep my pace up and it's on ice and it's not great conditions. Yeah, see, um, I just like to uh, slide on the ice and fall down and not twist the ankle. That yeah. Land on my knees instead, but one turned ankle out in the bush, and that's gonna be a painful walk. Well, yeah, and that's well, you gotta that's... take a look yeah. at your where you're doing it as well. Like for the most part, I mean, when we go out and do like a proper one in on a trail in the woods, I will definitely put on something a little bit taller. Um, but when I do them just for fitness sake, I've got a paved trail that's plowed, so like I can go 10k. And not have to worry so much. Yeah. Um, the other thing to look at that with that, uh, waterproof or insulated. Uh, if you can get waterproof, I think it's yeah. usually worth a couple bucks. If you get a Gore-Tex lined or waterproof boot versus an unlined boot, it's usually only going to add a couple of bucks to the price tag, you know, $15, $20 kind of a thing. If you can get the waterproof option, get the waterproof option. Insulation is a tricky yeah. one. Um, in the wintertime, yes, but too much of a good thing can be not a good thing. The 1,000-gram Thinsulate boot, while it is probably super comfy for ice fishing, probably not great when you're going for a ruck and you're sweating because there, there is a sweet spot there. So I, I do wear a, a lightly insulated boot in the wintertime, uh, like 200-gram Thinsulate, and I wear an uninsulated boot if it's above zero. And I prefer all mine to be waterproof. But again, it's yeah. like original SWAT. Makes good boots, gives you lots of choices. If you don't like them, pick a different boot. And yeah. if you want to pick Solomon's, I can tell you how many pairs of those I've blown out. Or if you want to pick Red Wing, I can tell you about the two pairs of those that I've blown out. Or like, take yeah. your pick. They're all going to wear out eventually. Pick the ones you're happy with. Not a huge fan of the side zipper models, um, just because yeah, it's a like wear and tear thing. Zip- I've had well, they zippers blow out. I've had problems with the zippers blowing out, so less things that can go wrong. Yeah. It's my my preference. Um, don't. This is not the time for steel toes. I would. I would not no. recommend that. the The sixty dollars surplus steel toe army boot. Uh, yeah. Not. Not a great choice. Yeah, I know Ian's a big fan, but like, it's only like it's easy for chainsawing too, and you know stuff around here right yeah, now. Yeah, for doing I'm stuff around saying, the farm, they're great. Not for, saying yeah. they're not a bad boot. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not my first choice to go for a ruck in. No. Um, if sure. I can get lighter and waterproof and get that support, and I mean there are costs and trade offs to these things. Yeah. But I just would, as uh, important though, it, it, as your boots or your shoes, your socks. 
I I think your socks are probably more important. And are you a, a multi sock system person, Gavin? Do you? Yes, know? absolutely. Yeah. So so again, like Gavin and I, while often being mistaken for the same person, we do have some some preferences that are different. I am a single sock aficionado, whereas Gavin believes in the multi sock system. Well. Can you still talk so, to each other this way, or like? Yeah, we we agree yeah. to disagree. It's fine. Yeah. Well, we're, we're both right for different reasons. You see. Yeah. So do you want to do you want to explain how a multi sock system works and the advantages with friction? Well, yeah. So the idea is that you, I mean, if you find yourself prone to blisters, uh, which I do, especially when we did our one ruck on a road that had a nice little camber to it, and we were all placing our left foot on the outside of the road, and it was sliding. And that's how we ended up with giant foot-sized blisters, which really sucked. Um, but yeah, the double sock, basically, instead of your foot rubbing on the things, your your socked foot will rub on the things, and you don't get the blisters, is the easy way to explain that. There's a little bit more to it, but you're not rubbing your foot on things. It's your socked foot rubbing on things, because you wear a thin, tight sock, and then some other sock, depending on weather, on the outside of that, which if it's stupid hot out, you could put another thin sock over top of it. If it's colder, you put a thicker one and so on and so forth. Whereas my preference is to wear an appropriately sized sock of the appropriate thickness for the weather. But I also only wear wool socks because I'm that guy. Uh, so sizing for the boots, then you want to go with a size larger than what you normally take in a shoe or the whatever? I think that depends on your sock system and level of comfort. For me, no, I wear my my boots the same size as my running shoes because of how original SWAT cuts yeah. their boots. And I've had to change that with others, but I don't allow for um, extra space. I, I don't accommodate um, extra no, that's socks gonna, or anything. That's what's going to get you problems more than anything else is having a boot that's well, too loose or too tight. I don't either. And, I just... A, Even a little double bit socking, I wear the same size. I just, I to put it on when I've got double socks, and I get like good winter socks, so they're like they're warm, but they're not stupid thick. And you're going to be walking too, so like you're going to be generating heat, so you don't need you're not static, so you don't need you know the crazy insulated that are like three inches thick, right? Like you're not standing in your ice shack out in the thing. You're you're moving. But I just loosen up my laces, put my foot in, and tighten it down. And I think that's the more important factor. If the boot is sized correctly for your foot size, as long as you can tension the laces on or off to accommodate the additional girth of your sock system, yeah. you really should be able to tighten your boots up pretty aggressively. You, you don't want a lot of slot because uh, Gavin touched on it a minute ago. Um, tight-fitting socks, tight-fitting boots, less blisters. Blisters are the result of frictional forces. It's the skin on your foot rubbing against other things. It could be the sock and the sole of the shoe, uh, like the insole, and your foot all rubbing together of those three surfaces. With the multi-sock system, with a two-layer sock system, the socks should be rubbing against each other more than the sock and the boot, or worse, the sock and your foot. Yeah. But as long as your boot fits correctly... Um, correct width correct length and you can reef down on the laces so that it stays good and tight you should be in reasonably good shape regardless of whether you wear too thin too thin socks or some thick socks yeah. some then, some people are into that 
Yeah. The other things you can do is if you like for short rucks, I don't worry so much about it. I know my feet are tough enough, but when we start talking about like our, like over 10 K, I might start like pre taping my foot even with the double sock system. So, I mean, you can get moleskin, you know, and there's some other more like thinner, more, you know, newer things that are basically moleskin, but they're advertised as anti-blister tape. Uh, duct tape will even work if you're on a budget or if you're out in the bush and you start to feel that you're getting a blister, stick some duct tape over that and you'll be duct good to go. Duct tape on the hot spot works wonders. Yeah. Um, but definitely like I, when we do our 25 Ks, I will pre tape everything just to be safe. Cause man, nothing will end your day faster than a blister and like it gets bad and all like, you'll be fine. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're like, well, that sucks. And now I'm, you know, 10 K into my 20 K and I have to go back that 10 K cause we're idiots and don't have safety vehicles you know well again this might be where gavin and i i vary in opinion slightly gavin wants to proactively deal with his problems and i want to be a man and ruin my day myself i'm not gonna let a blister do it (laughs) oh i mean i still finished the hike even with him as as i did that one day where we all got them but well um, i think while we're on the topic of foot care and gavin's mentioned socks and Oh, yeah. uh, anti-blister tape or moleskin. Moleskin, I think, is one of those great things to have. Dry feet are happy feet, which I feel yeah. like I would be remiss to say if I didn't quote some ancient sergeant that has told every trooper ever that same thing. Gold Bond is 100% your friend. I don't care how it smells or how it makes you feel or how silly you feel, but Gold Bond is a wonderful thing. Go get the medicated foot powder. And multiple pairs of socks. As Gavin says, when we go on long ones, we make time to stop and change our socks. Yeah. Because dry feet are happy feet. Oh, and like, yeah, there's nothing like just putting on a fresh, clean pair of socks. Like you've done 10K or 15K or whatever it is with your pack and you're all gross and sweaty, even though you've got your short shorts on, you throw on some clean socks and you're like, oh, you could go easily you know that distance again if not more it really makes a a huge impact and just like taking your socks off for five minutes and letting your feet air out to dry while you change your socks is is wonderful and a good time to check your feet for blisters yeah being being proactive about that stuff i think is a big deal especially as you're starting out because i mean like starting out don't go do the 50k rock with a 50 pound pack with gavin because you think that's a good way to spend your saturday because well it would be a lot of fun yeah the next week or two is going to really suck yeah you know as the skin grows back and as you relearn how to walk and have to go to physio (laughs) and all of the other factors that go into that but the uh being on top of the foot care stuff is uh is a key factor in this good boots good socks dry feet being happy feet if you can have the waterproof boots or if you can if you do the waterproof socks that's a thing people do i don't believe in waterproof socks but that's a thing people do Uh, if you're going to be doing this multiple days like you're on a oh say hunting trip outside um, two pairs of boots is also one of those good things to be prepared with i'm not suggesting you take two pairs of boots with you today but if you're going to go backcountry hiking 
it might not be the worst idea ever to pack a second pair of boots or, or spare laces at the very least. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Trying to stay on top of all of that stuff. Can we channel our inner, inner idiocracy there and talk about electrolytes for a second? Yes. yes. Food, water, and electrolytes, it's what plants crave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where would you go with that one? As, uh, as far as like short hikes, don't bother, longer hikes, yes. Where would you go Honestly, with that? short hikes, I don't even drink water that much. Yeah. No, but I mean, we hydrate fairly regularly anyways. So well, yes, and if I go Because for you're listening quick... to us, you should be doing the Patriot Challenge and get yeah. exercise for 45 minutes, practice a skill for 10, read a book for 15, drink two liters of water and complete a task to improve your life. So if you're already doing these things as you should be, you're probably already reasonably well hydrated. And then for an hour or so, you're probably okay. Hydrate again before you go hydrate again. When you get back, drink a little bit while you're going. And if you're going on a long hike, then like, yeah, you know, take water with you and drink said water. If you're going on a long hike, take food with you and drink your food. You, I would feel like you would be unprepared if you went on a long hike in the woods with your SKS and you didn't take snacks. How are you going to have tactical snacks? Yeah, no, I, I like to eat a good breakfast before I go, if we're going a little bit later in the day, but early enough that I have time to like digest it because I don't want to be out there with a full stomach. Yeah, I I think it's... Uh, depending on your, your level of fitness and activity and what you're comfortable with. But I think if you're going to go outside, I mean, it's not any different than going for a drive in your car, right? You have your emergency kit, you have your spare set of winter clothes and you have a couple of granola bars. Even if you don't get hungry, it doesn't hurt you anything to have them. It's not like they're going to go bad. You're not obligated to use them, but if you want a little pick me up, it's not a, not a terrible idea for the, What's a granola bar weigh? 112, 114 grams? Yeah, like, like nothing. Put but, two or three of them in your pack. Put a bottle of water in your pack. Spare socks. I mean, if you're going to be carrying weight anyways, all of these things weigh almost nothing. It's inconsequential to... No, and it's good preparedness because nobody wants to be that guy that has to call the orange helicopter to come and retrieve them. Yeah, that's expensive. You, know, you think they'd have a weight on that thing? Right in front of you, but uh. well, I, I was thinking about that. I'm pretty sure that the the Nutrigrain bar that I had the other day, I think, it was 112 grams for whatever reason. That number stuck out in my mind. 35 but, grams. That's it. Well, that's yeah. just a little one. Then there's nothing yeah. in that. Tiny, tiny. Yeah. So, yeah, I think having some food there, and same thing. Like if you're going to have food and you're going to have water, electrolytes is a consideration. Yeah. As you, especially as if you you're going out for perspire, a long one, you need those well, calories. Like. If it's hot, if it's bad, like if it's not ideal weather, you you are doing work and you're going to sweat and you need to replace some of those important things in your body, like electrolytes, which are really just salt, and some sugar and a couple other amino acids. But I think yeah. a lot of people get overexcited about electrolytes because like marketing, Gatorade is good for you and it makes athletes win Olympic medals and things. I think you have to drink a fair bit of water before you need to start worrying about drinking your electrolytes. I don't know exactly what that ratio is, but like a long full day on the range of shooting is like three liters of water and a liter of water with electrolytes in it. Maybe like somewhere in that ratio is what I have found to be helpful. Yeah. 
you're more worried about the water than you are about the electrolytes. But like, it doesn't hurt to have, like, if you've got five or six bottles of water with you, if one of them is Gatorade or some other off-brand thing, great. But if you've hydrated properly throughout the day, you've eaten your food and done all of the things that you need to do, you probably wouldn't have to worry so much about the electrolytes. Yeah, I wouldn't really sweat it. Maybe when it's 30 degrees and you're doing a 50K yeah. ruck, then, okay, yeah, you, you drank your four or five liters of water. Maybe it's maybe it's time to have a Gatorade, yeah. Powerade, Sportsaid, whatever beverage. But generally, I would say for most people, it is... Dehydrated electrolyte powder if you're in the military. I like the fruit, pu- fr- fruit punch flavor, if anyone was curious. Mm. Makes you want to jump through a wall and say, "Oh yeah," something like that. Yeah, but yeah. I know if you're de- if you're going out for a long, long rock, definitely bring some food because you're going to want those calories to give you that energy to keep going. Well, and I think the nutrition is a big part of this. It is an athletic endeavor, right? It's 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 a sporting event that you're taking part in. It's not any significantly different than running or lifting weights. And I would actually think that a lot of the nutrition for that is the same stuff because you're doing a. Yeah. If you're going for a rock march, it is not unlike going for a marathon run you're going for a long distance for a long period of time and expending a lot of calories i went this morning for 90 minutes i covered just over nine kilometers and according to my fancy garmin watch i expended over a thousand calories in that time that is i run and i only expend a little bit more than that Well, I mean, and we've gone and like when we do our 25Ks, you're looking somewhere in the neighborhood of five hours and you're, you know, you're active that whole time other than, you know, a couple of minutes here or there. So that's a long time to be physically active, right? You go play soccer or whatever, you play like a 90 minute game, you know, or you play football and it's like a three hour game that's only an hour, but like you're still not being physically active for that long. This is a, you know, a five hour endeavor. And we're, I don't want to say the best at this, but like, we're not terrible at it either. So we're moving pretty good. I feel like we're pretty, I'm, I'm going to get the trophy from the new shooter Canada one. At least I've already sent my spelling of my name (laughs) to make sure they get that right. And the residual March showed that we did pretty good worldwide too. It's true. I've got my certificate and everything. Yeah. Um, well, actually, on that note, guys, should we talk about a little bit more about technique? Like, so, you know, if uh, do you guys ever watch that Heartbreak Ridge movie with Clint Eastwood way back when? Yeah. And pulled Rick that Ridge guy's Ridge. ear ring out of his ear. Yeah, it was awesome. Them, Stitch yeah. Jones. I mean, great guy. Anyway, so, yeah, so the recruits start off, like, running super fast to try and show him what's what. And, of course, he goes jogging by a few minutes later and just maintains a steady pace. And before you know it, he's finished his, his long, long stint. And these guys are just dying by the end of it. So as far as technique goes with this, slow steady wins the race. Are we running? Are we walking? What are we doing? Well, I, I'm going to say with some uh, some level of uh, enthusiasm not to run. Yeah, don't run do that. As we touched on earlier, okay. is hard on your joints. That running puts 12 times your own body weight on your knees when you run um, every time you take a step, roughly. Don't run because you're now carrying extra weight in addition to your own body weight. I say as I sometimes run to make sure to hit my pace after I had to stop to wait for a car to go by or some other thing. So I'm not saying there's not situations where walking with purpose is not important, but generally um, running with weight is discouraged. And if you're going to do that, I think you would probably want to go and speak to someone much more qualified in this field professionally than Gavin or I are, who are eminently qualified amateurs. 
Yeah. Go, go, go see somebody who knows what they're doing for sports medicine type stuff and make sure you're capable of running with a weight on. Cause I, I can't think of any professional that's going to tell you that that's a good idea. No. And, and, you know, just full disclosure, all of the advice that we have when it comes to sports injuries uh, is all through having acquired said sports injuries. Yeah. If you can have many, it, break but... it, bruise it, pull it, <laughs> sprain it, tweak it. I've got one. Sometimes oh, yeah. two. Yeah. Don't the, the biggest trick is don't run. Um, yeah. Not running, walking with purpose and really walking with purpose. And it, it is not terribly different than running. So like when you're, when you're getting into running and they talk about uh, foot strikes, heel strike, midfoot, forefoot strikes, the same thing with, with rocking short paces, uh, like unusually short paces, a normal North American man's five ten or so. Uh, your average North American man's pace is about 80 centimeters, a little bit less, 75 centimeters uh, in that in that neighborhood. When you're rucking, you're going to take an even shorter pace than you normally would were you walking because of the extra weight and because we don't want to have all of those heel strikes because a heel strike is very hard on your foot and your, the rest of your posterior chain. We're trying to use our lower body to act like a shock absorber and we're trying to do it in a way that is going to uh, help with the longevity of all of those joints and with our body. So we can be super, super hard on things and wear everything out right away. But in the long term, that's not a, not a terrific plan. No, so and that's take how shorter... Andrew and I get all of our sports injuries and why we're so <laughs> broken. Because I want no. to believe I'm much <laughs> better at things than I actually am. So um, avoiding, avoiding that heel strike. So as a result, taking a shorter pace, aiming for that midfoot strike um, and Increasing your cadence, the uh, the rate at which you take steps. Again, like a normal North American person's pace is something like 100 paces a minute. Uh, if you're running, it's like 180 paces a minute. Like a good running pace is like 180. Uh, rucking is going to be in between. Like for me, it's around 130, 140 paces a minute. Like almost as fast as running. Um, but I'm taking much shorter paces. So keeping keeping your pace consistent uh, as best as you can and keeping your steps consistent. And part of this is you need to recruit a lot of muscles to do this activity. It's not unlike running or more, more aggressively than walking, you are using a lot of muscles through your body and you should be trying to use the big muscles because they're more effective. They better power to weight ratio. Um, so glutes, hamstrings, uh, quads, big, big muscles. You want to try and use those as much as you can use it using the, the little small muscles, the gastrocnemius, uh, not a great choice because it is not a big muscle and it will tire easily. And you have a bunch of these small muscles through your legs and they're, they're easy to use, but they don't have the staying power that a good pair of glutes does. Yeah, you'll you'll definitely notice them if you walk and you're on like an icy trail and you start sort of wobbling and shifting and sliding on the ice because those are like your stabilizer muscles that kick in when you start to like do weird things. So after a long walk on a slippery surface, you will definitely be like, man, I forgot about those muscles. So don't use those ones regularly. Like they, they, they kick in all on their own when they need to, but yeah, use the big muscle groups as much use, as you can well, use the big muscle groups. And I guess starting top to bottom, you've got your pack on, you should be standing with your spine relatively neutral. 
you should lean slightly forward at the waist, keeping your spine relatively neutral. Because if your center of gravity is in front of your toes, over your toes, you're going to want to keep walking forward. You do that naturally on your own. And just you artificially need to think about this with the with the rucksack because of the extra weight. And it's important to keep your spine at neutral so that you don't cause yourself any back issues. Because then again whole bunch of medical professionals have to be involved in physiotherapy yeah. and recovery and yeah. make, make good life choices. Don't do silly things with weight on your, on well, any part yeah. of you. Yeah. Oh, that appears asked a couple times. Uh, if you get sore legs or shin splints, I guess it is. Uh, is that just because of like improper technique with the heel strikes and stuff? Or is um, that- grow stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be such no. Um, it's not so much that it's improper technique. It's that you haven't, prepared properly i mean there's some technique stuff there that you can fix to lessen it but you if you don't ever stretch and then you go and walk for 10k it's gonna hurt and if you add a 50 pound pack it's going to hurt 50 pounds more than it did before yeah you need to like when when we go like i i've been slacking on it lately but when i when i'm doing my what i'm supposed to be doing i need to stretch twice a day just for life in general when I go for a rock, I will do like a proper stretch in the morning. I will then stretch if I'm not going out immediately, like from the house, like if we have to drive somewhere, I will do like another mini stretch in the parking lot and then stretch at the end of it as well. And even throughout it, if you know we're taking a break and something is feeling tight. Um, you likely don't stretch enough. Most people don't. It's yeah. a, just the nature of we work in offices and driving trucks. Uh, I will not tell people to do yoga, but I will tell you to stretch aggressively. Yeah. Tactical man stretching. If you call it that, yeah. or just maybe mention all the, um, the uh, Lululemon pants, maybe there'll be a draw or something. Yeah, I can know. tell you though, for, for shin splints, the best thing that you can do, uh, cause I get it frequently. Um, you got to like kneel with your feet straight behind you and then sit down on him. And that's how you stretch them out for shin splints. Yeah, it's it's an overuse injury for a very very yeah. small muscle. So pr- part of that is practice and training. Part of that is stretching. Stretch stretch more. Act, active stretching before you go. Yeah. That's not unlike if you were going to go for a run. Active stretching first. Static stretching when you're done. All of the all of the common good stretches, like a runner stretch and stretch your hamstrings and stretch your quads and stretch your calves and do your ankle rotations, and it's all like high school PE all over again. Yeah, it's a lot of work to go for a walk with purpose with weight. But it's no more work than if you were going to go for a run, and I would rather go for yeah. with a weight. Like maybe if I'm going for a weight, I also have a rifle, and that would be a better day. Yeah. So when you, when you do get going though, um, it is important to keep going and it is important to recruit that entire posterior chain. So all the way from your mid and upper back down through your buttocks, all the way down your legs, your feet. And there's a whole lot of muscles going on. Um, squeeze the glutes, engage the glutes, activate the whole posterior chain and uh, try to use the glutes and hamstrings to propel yourself forward with the help of your quads. If you're getting things like shin splints, you're recruiting muscles that are too small or too weak for what you're trying to do, or that you haven't adequately stretched out, 
or you could have lots of other fun injuries like me. I have a whole team of professionals that I go to, physiotherapists and osteopaths and acupuncturists and stretch. All of the stretching, baths with Epsom salts when you're done. Which is like magnesium sulfate or something, which is a muscle relaxant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you start to get tired. Is it better just to slow down a little bit or stop? I would I would strongly discourage stopping with a rucksack because the, the temptation is if you stop, then you've stopped and it's hard to start again. Starting is the hardest part. Most people think it's the waiting, but it's actually the starting that's the hardest part. That's Tom Petty. That's not, uh, that's not Neil Young. Yeah. So I, I don't stop slowing down. I is I suppose acceptable. Although it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, a good time is going to be under a ten minute kilometer. So slow slowing down is going to make that tough. M- most people don't walk that fast. Now again, you're walking with purpose. So and elevations even affect that too, right? If you're changing elevations a lot, so yes. yes. And if you're going up a hill, um, small, shorter paces, like much, much shorter paces, uh, and keeping again, engaging the entire posterior chain, keeping the spine neutral, it's going to tempt you to lean much further forward than you would otherwise. If you're going up a hill, going down a hill, being very careful again about heel strikes, because you're going to naturally want to elongate your pace. So again, being careful, but you can, generally speaking, go faster down the same hill than up it. But be uh, careful because traction and all that, right? With the yeah. weight, don't don't like become a runaway train and just like not cool. No, but generally um, you're able to go down hills faster than you can go up them, and you can generally do it safely. But um, care, care and consideration with changing elevation and carrying consideration going over uneven surfaces and terrain stepping over uh, rocky surfaces or even stepping on and off of curbs that couple of inches of concrete between the the roadway and the sidewalk is enough that like well now we're putting all of the weight on one foot and standing on it and we're changing our elevation and then we have to like put our other foot back down again Um, there shouldn't be a situation where both of your feet are off the ground that would be a bad time that would be remarkably close to running Remember, we're not running because that would be bad. So keeping at least one foot on the ground and keeping good foot placement and having all of the um, all of the same things that will make your physiotherapist very happy uh, with the alignment of your leg and foot, uh, knee over your second or third digit on your foot and keeping your knee in a uh, relaxed neutral position and not hyperextending yourself or not locking your knee out um, and keeping your ankles reasonably relaxed, not, uh, not overexerting any of the muscles around your ankles and trying to keep your toes pointed generally in the direction you're walking. You don't want to, uh, you don't want the cowboy walk as you're going down the street. That would be no good. It would look very cool, but it would not be very effective. Awesome. Uh, you guys got some references here you want to talk about? Like- yeah. So for rucking for fun and profit, um, when you've decided that you're in good enough shape to do this, how good is good enough? And I would say when they put your name on the trophy, that would be good enough. But in the meantime, some standards that you may want to uh, look at doing in our wonderful Canadian forces system, a standard ruck uh, to pass the old battlefield fitness test, which I believe has been replaced now, Uh, but that's your full fighting order. So for all of our non-Canadian military people, uh, full fighting order, uh, helmets, web gear, uh, rain gear, uh, magazines, ammunition, uh, stripped IMP, water, all on your uh, your 
tack vest, your webbing gear, and a rucksack um, with roughly a day's worth of clothes and accessories in it. And the whole thing works out to uh, 54 pounds. So uh, part of that is on the, the FFO because your helmet weighs so much and your tack vest weighs so much and the magazine weighs a pound and so on and so on. And then all of the things that you're prescribed to have in your rucksack. So it's 54 pounds worth of equipment. And you should be able to do that to pass the battlefield, the battlefield fitness test, the battle fitness test, uh, two hours, 26 minutes and get 13 kilometers. It's a fixed distance event. So it's always 13 kilometers. And the, the top end of the time spectrum is two hours and 26 minutes. Uh, eminently achievable. That is uh, almost a 12 minute pace. It's 11 minutes and something eminently okay. achievable. Um, I prefer the seesaw standard. Seesaw standard modified rock march. Helmet, full fighting order, rucksack. Uh, pardon me. No helmet, no rifle. 77 pounds worth of equipment, 12 kilometers, two hours and 24 minute, uh, top time. So do not to exceed two hours and 24 minutes. I like that standard because, uh, lots of people don't have rifles and lots of people don't have helmets and well, eminently scalable. You don't have to start with the 77 pounds on your first try, no, but man, once you get to do distance, it, it is, yeah, it does get to get fun, but you are, you are in that, that neighborhood. You're looking around. 12 kilometers, 13 kilometers. Um, the Brits have a similar standard. Theirs is faster. Uh, depending on the trade in the British Army, it's a two-hour ruck march to go 13 kilometers. And it's anywhere between 15 and 25 kilograms, depending on your trade. The Americans have their own thing because America. Uh, so in order to earn your expert infantryman badge in the U.S. Army, their fighting load, uh, as opposed to the approach load, reference uh, FM 21 TAC 18 Table 3. There's like three people that will understand what that meant. But if you have all of your 70 pounds of equipment in the, um, in the FM 21 manual, the time is three hours to go 19.3 kilometers or 12 miles. This is a nine minute pace, nine minutes a kilometer. Yeah. This is fast. This is fast with a lot of stuff. Yeah. That is, uh, you're moving pretty good. But if you can do the, if you can basically keep a 10 minute pace, you're going to be on, uh, like on standard for most of the standards that matter. If you pick any of our Commonwealth countries standards for rock marching, or you'd want to pick the American standards, if you can keep a 10 minute a kilometer pace, you're walking the right pace. Now you just need to start adding the appropriate amount of weight. And if you want to earn your EIB, you got to do it with 30 kilos. And if you want to meet the seesaw standard, you got to do it with 35 kilos. So I do the seesaw standard myself, but that's a matter of preference. That's because we're tougher anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I like the, I, the convenience of it. No helmet, no rifle. It's a backpack full of stuff. Yeah. Most of the other TOEs have uh, have a requirement for some sort of a firearm and some sort of body armor, helmet, all of that stuff. The Brits have, I think theirs requires a flak jacket for one of their entries on their TOE. Gets yeah, awkward in the neighborhood mar rec marches, though, when you have that. Well, it depends. Yeah. I mean, I like yeah. to walk around. I think my, my neighbors are used to it by now, yeah. 
Yeah, my my neighbors no longer stop me to ask. They now wait <laughs> politely until I'm finished. Yeah. And you guys had a couple episodes you did as well of this. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, we unleashed our excitement about this uh, real early last year, getting ready for uh, the Verstleka yeah. Remote Military March. That was, I think, when we started talking about it in episode 271. The Verstleka is a great Finnish company. They sell all kinds of military surplus and new equipment. The shipping to Canada is very reasonable for most of their stuff. And fast. Yeah. Well, it should be. Postifini or, or DHL, your, your choice. They put on a remote march in 2020 and 2021, which is what we got involved with. And then because we got involved in it, uh, the Finnish military decided they were also going to do it. So the Finnish Reserve Sport Association, because there's no uh, there's no marches happening in Nijmegen due to COVID, they decided to put their reserve sport march online virtual event instead of going to Nijmegen for, two, for last year. So we were able to participate in that as well. Um, so that's the uh, the Rizul four day march. And Normally, we also did uh, the army run, or at least some of us did. Oh yeah, that's right. I did the uh, I did the uh, the half marathon army run because uh, the army run for the, the Canadian Army is in Ottawa every uh, fall. It's like what September October. Yeah. It's in the fall September. Say, um, they made it a virtual event again this past year because of COVID. So I did the uh, the half marathon as a ruck, and then I did the uh, the five k. And didn't we do another one? We did a third one. Um, no, for the army run, it was those thing, and then the residual, and then we just we I mean we did a few of them just for fun and for like working up to doing the the big ones. But those were like the official rucks that we did, and now we're doing the the new shooter Canada ruck challenge, which is why we're here talking about rucks again. That yes, was episode new, 321. 321. Uh, a New Shooter Canada episode 321. No, is that right? That can't be right. Are they out that many episodes? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. We, no. we, we inspired them to, Two, to 231. Two, 231. Yeah. So th- they have uh, gingerly placed a gauntlet. I assume. In front of you as well as in front of us. No, they didn't. Really, uh, Josh never contacted us at all. But uh... well, no, he posted it on the, the book of faces. It says, yeah. "I know there are other like-minded podcasts that enjoy such things. Let's th- see if they're game." Yeah. The book that's... of faces is that? Uh, I've heard of that thing. Um, that's where that's where I'm banned from. <laughs> Yet somehow yeah. you're streaming live on it right now. No, I'm not streaming live on it. Allegedly. Yes, somebody yeah. else is not banned is streaming live on that. Yeah. It's the Josh magic from, of the internet. Josh yeah. from New Shooter Canada was kind enough to contact me using a carrier pigeon and send me a screenshot of his Facebook post so that I would be aware that they had challenged us to a contest. Yes, I just assumed all the other cool podcasts were still on social media and were able to figure this out on their own. This is my social media. This is it. All right. Yeah. Ian, consider I, I, yourself formally only. challenged. <laughs> yeah. I am gingerly placing the gauntlet before you week three started today so you've got some catch-up to do excellent yeah new shooter canada is putting on an event i guess they had a good time they did their uh, new year's resolutions episode and uh i think three of their panelists it was 
Josh Amanda and Josh and Amanda and I think Mike. And Mike. Yeah, I don't think Benny um, enjoyed doing it. Well, but. we haven't we haven't decided whose team Benny's on yet. Where everybody's yeah. trying to draft Benny, and no one's been successful yeah. yet. It's like a salary cap thing. It has to go to the commissioner. We'll work it out. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so th- they, they've actually got a really good training program, I think, put together. They've got a 12-week program that started, uh, well, today is the beginning of week three. And it steps up nicely for your less experienced people. They, they prescribe a 30-pound pack, although the directions may be very slightly unclear since it says a 25 to 30-pound yeah. rucksack. And then later in the instructions, it says 30-pound. So, yeah, but if you're like new, new, just go for the walk. Like, just, yeah, just go for the walk. It, it is a it is a nice little twelve week cycle though. So it's uh it's three weeks of progress, and then a deload week, and then three weeks of progress and a deload week, and conveniently, the New Shooter Canada podcast ought to end the week before Verstraleka traditionally holds the remote military march at the end of April. So you should be in very good shape to participate with our Finnish friends. Uh, of which Gavin and I think we've decided we're going to do the recon division this year rather than just the military division. So the recon division requires you to pack all of your equipment and sleep outside and then do day two and do the return route. You know, there's lions around here, right? (laughs) (laughs) So pack a lion rifle, lion shotgun, (laughs) both lion logger. It could be part of your 25 pounds or whatever you need to carry. There you go. There you yeah, go. I think the uh, Verst Laker requirement, I think, is 15 kilos. Yeah, something like that. We'll have to see when they publish the new ones. But yeah, the idea is that we'll, we'll hike out, camp out, hike back. Verst yeah, Laker does theirs as a prescribed distance, not prescribed time, which I, I like the way that New Shooter Canada has got this set up because it's like a prescribed time every week. So. 60 minutes, 75 minutes, 90 minutes, deload week for 45 minutes, and kind of like rinse and repeat on that cycle for three yeah, cycles. It, it really does make for a nice contest. It does. It, it, yeah. And I am all about contests. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the, the Verstalaika march, though, they do theirs as a prescribed distance. It's either 25 or 50 kilometers. There's no options. It's Finland. You get two choices. You can have the cod or you can have the herring, but you're going to have one of them. Colder, colder. Nope. Excellent. Uh, Well, that was pretty much it, isn't it? I think that pretty well rounds it out. Um, The the basics, anyways. Once you're done in April with that, uh, Nijmegen should be the third week in July is traditionally when the Nijmegen marches are held. So, fingers crossed, uh, the Finnish Reserve Association puts that on again this year and Gavin and I can steer the largest international and largest civilian team again. Nice. We had a lot of Canadians on the roster last year for the Rasul March. Wow. I think we were, we were the largest country outside of Finland. Yeah. Yeah, That's That's impressive. The, the, the three teams ahead of us were all like reserve units Otherwise, yeah, we had the best of, like, biggest one, biggest civilian, biggest international, and, like, longest times other than, like, the military ones. They're longest distances, not times. But, like, uh, yeah, we, we crushed it. Yeah, I hope the Finns invite us back. Yeah. Well, maybe not. You made him look bad. <laughs> anyway. 
Well, yeah. podcast challenge, Eric. I think so. Yeah, that's a whole lot of good uh, rocking information. And um, yeah, let's move into the podcast challenge. So uh, the challenge for this week is start walking, add some weights as you can, and uh, you know just start out with a backpack and go from there. And uh, upcoming events. So um, Radio Amateurs of Canada is starting their basic and advanced ham courses again. Uh, those are the online courses that are going to be running. So uh, check out their website and uh, get registered for one of those if uh, you're looking to get licensed. Right on. Uh, deal of the week this week, uh, somewhat related. I don't know how you feel about Under Armour, but anyways, Under Armour has some hiking boots on. Are they really hiking boots or just kind of outdoorsy boots anyway? Uh, 30% off, and uh, they are on for $69.99 right now, the uh, Stellar Tactical Duty Boots. Shoutouts. I'll open that up to anybody in the panel. Oh, all right. I got three. Go Shoot. for it. I'm going to thank my friends at Verstaleka for their salty liquors. <laughs> you got to go to SHOT Show and get the, uh, the salty liquors. Because it's a it's a whole thing. It's an experience. Yeah. Um, the Reserve Fella It's in Finnish. It's the Reserve Sports Association. They're great people. I don't speak their language though. <laughs> they uh, they opened this up and they provided an English translation after uh, I complained enough. I use, so thank you to them for allowing international participation in their event. And New Sure Canada for getting more people involved in a sport that I actually enjoy. Yeah. There you go. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, the inbox and iTunes reviews were uh, were dry this week, so uh, got nothing there. So uh, with that, I will bring episode number one hundred and forty-eight of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out and submit a review. It does help other people find us. And we record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we go live. If anybody wants to contact me, you can just reach me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. I might get the message to Jeff. Depends on if I feel like it or not. At least five minutes before the show starts. <laughs> well, if he's got his wood gas for fired up and the, the signal transmits, right? Sure. Oh, no, no, no. That's Scott, my man. That's, that, that is Scott, yeah. is Scott. Get it straight. You, yeah. you don't have one, too, though? <laughs> no, I do not. Oh, Here we well, go. Well, maybe that's why you're not getting the messages. This is true. Could oh. be. Yep. yep. <laughs> Where can everybody find you, Gavin? Uh, the best place to find me when I'm not out walking in the woods with my SKS would be on uh, Instagram, GTA. Awesome. Andrew? If you want to come hang out with me, um, Strava. Look for the Ragnarok Club on Strava and come and hang out with a bunch of other crazy rockers. So we have a whole thing there. But if you want to hear more of my uh, political views or takes on the uh, current situations, Monday nights, 9 o'clock on YouTube and anywhere fine podcasts are sold, you can hear us talking about waste, fraud, and abuse on Canadian Patriot Podcast. Fair enough. Uh, you can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find all three of us on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. Um, I'm also in the Discord chat for both CPPs. Email if you want an invite. I seem to hang out there more than anywhere else since I'm not on Facebook. Um, 
<laughs> they can discuss this. Why I'd find us discussing why government waste in society has me destroying my opsec, probably going back on Strava and then heading in the woods. Fair enough. Uh, please check out to Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat. You can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us this evening. And until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>